Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Howdy, partner. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this is an all-new episode with Kevin Cahoon, who's starring in Shucked on Broadway. Tony nominated for his role as Peanut. Okay, I gotta drop the accent. I left North Carolina a long time ago. This episode is one of my favorites. This guy has an amazing Amazing story. He became a professional rodeo clown at the age of, drumroll please, six. He was a rodeo clown at the age of six and was the youngest professional rodeo clown in the country at that time. Grew up in a, in a Texas rodeo family and uh, his story to make it onto the Broadway stage is one that only he can tell. So I'm going to let him tell it. All right, y'all. Find me online, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, X, whatever. Threads. Facebook, you know the drill. Leave a rating and review. And everybody, please enjoy this episode with Kevin Cahoon. Here you go. One, two, three. Today's guest is a Tony nominee for his breakout comedic role of Peanut in Shucked, which marks his Broadway return after a 16-year break. Critically praised for his role as drag queen Bobby Barnes on Glow, other TV credits include Monarch, A Series of Unfortunate Events, Maisel, Nurse Jackie, and Modern Family, just to name a few. In addition to Shucked, I can't say that without the accent, yeah. additional Broadway credits include The Wedding Singer, 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 The Wedding Singer, well, same thing, The Wedding Singer, Chitty Chitty Bang. Bang Bang, Rocky Horror, The Lion King, and The Who's Tommy. He was a professional rodeo clown at the age of six and won junior star search at the age of 13. Hot damn, Kevin Cahoon. Welcome to the theater podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> Dude, I want to start with age six rodeo clown because I got a little boy. I, was about, I got two kids, two yeah. boys. About, one's about to turn seven. He won't even look at a horse, let alone ride a bull. Listen. So. Well, I was on a horse before I could walk. That is. Really? Yes. I'm from Texas. My dad was a cap roper in the rodeo. My parents met in the rodeo club in high school. And I grew up um, an only child surrounded by every animal you could possibly imagine. You know, horses and donkeys and cows and pigs and goats and i had a monkey and a raccoon and, <laughs> and i mean it really was like the monkey a dr doolittle like there were animals everywhere um and i've never been afraid of any kind of animal at all and you know i was on a horse since i was a small child and i would see my dad in the rodeos and i said i want to be a rodeo clown and so my parents said, okay, let's try. And the next thing I knew from five to 15, we were doing the rodeo circuit in Texas and Oklahoma. And every weekend we were loading up the horse trailer and off we went. And I did, I even did the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, which is like the biggest in the world at the Astrodome. I did that for 10 years through my sophomore year of high school. And then the youngest rodeo clown thing in the world was getting a little shaky when you're a sophomore year in high school. Doesn't the youngest rodeo the clown in the world have a mustache now? Yeah, what's going uh, on? What's you know. wrong with that guy? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was incredible. That was my first introduction to performing. And um, 
I would do comedic acts in between the events while they're setting up for the next event. And I would tell jokes with the announcer at the rodeo. I had other clowns that I worked with and comedic uh, acts. And, um, you know, I think about Shucked, which is I'm kind of just telling jokes in cowboy boots in a rural setting, just like I did for the (laughs) five to 15. Um, It's funny how it all just sort of came back full circle. Wow. Well, I work with a lot of clowns too, but none of them wear makeup. Hey, so. that's okay. Listen. Those are damn clowns. The, uh, the age six though, I, I just, I mean, maybe this is my, the, the New York, it's a different time, right? When we grew up and, and I yeah. was, yeah. And my almost seven year old now, I would not think would have the conscious wherewithal to be like, this animal could kill me. Right. <laughs> I've never really been worried about that, to be honest. And I didn't do the uh, bullfighting or the barrels, which is, you know, when the bulls are involved. But, you know, I've never been scared of any. And I I love snakes, I'll be honest with you. When you see those guys in the subway and in Times Square with a snake around their neck, it's not my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of animals that can kill you, let's talk about Ed McMahon and Star Search. Hey! Uh, Hey yo! So Ed Mc Ed McMahon, yeah, Junior Star Search. He did, he did Junior Star Search too, right? I'm he trying did. to remember. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. yeah. Franchise. So the whole franchise. <laughs> yeah, right. He he's everything. And so, like, what was the progression that you were going through from you know rodeo and rodeo club? By the way, which I was like, wait, there's a whole rodeo club. I, I didn't even. Oh yes, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. whole subculture. So rodeo club performing and you're like, well, I'm just going to start doing something. Or I guess what did you win for? Was it singing? And like, because rodeo clowning isn't singing. No. And they had asked me to audition as an actor because Star Search had acting categories at that time. And they were coming through Houston and they were going around the country and trying to cast their season of Star Search. And I, I at 13 or 12, I guess at the time said, no, I want to sing. I want to sing. I don't want to, I don't want to audition as an actor. So I sang some people from Gypsy and that got me the gig. And the next thing I knew we were in LA and, you know, at the Aquarius theater, which is now the lit Nickelodeon theater on sunset. That was my first introduction to LA, my first introduction to New York and getting an agent. And I had done a TV commercial when I was nine and my mom signed me up for theater classes when I was 10 in Houston. I did a lot of shows as a kid at theater under the stars and um, I just loved it and fell in love really head over heels in love with theater at that young age. And, you know, star search opened up a whole other life. And at that point at 13, I started living in the summers living during the summers in New York city and auditioning. And I did, a ton of I didn't have much success except doing TV commercials and that was incredible and I did commercials for everything you could imagine and that you know all through high school and through NYU that helped me get through NYU and yeah um and it wasn't until I graduated from NYU that um I started working really like in theater and playing roles as opposed to just doing commercials I started playing roles but Star Search was, did you, have, you know. Did you have a type that you were cast in for the commercials? Was oh, it... always the nerd. Always, yeah. always, always, <laughs> always the nerd. No question. Um, and that was fine with me. Listen, I was happy to just have a job and it was fun and I had the time of my life. But it's funny, I've sort of like, there's been three sort of 
periods of types for my career. Like I've went through a whole nerd stage. Then I sort of went through a whole rock and roll drag queen period where that was everything. And then now I'm like in my country era with Monarch, the television show that I did on Fox and this. Um, it's so funny how the business and this career shifts you to, you know, what you're doing at the moment. Um, but listen, as long as I'm working and I care. <laughs> well, it's it's recency bias, right? And and right. I think it it's funny because casting agents and even the public in general, but uh, in a business where we're supposed to be incredibly creative, I feel like some of the casting choices are often incredibly uncreative because... You're just grabbing the person you just saw play the person you're trying to cast. Sure. Absolutely. No, that is very, very, very true. So when, uh, I guess, so you went to NYU then. I did. And NYU, uh, for what? For performing at that time? Like, for, what, was there a moment when you were like, this is what I have to do? Or was there ever another time when you're like, maybe I'll try astrophysics? No. You know, when I was a kid and I was rodeoing, I did think at that time, maybe I want to be a veterinarian, you know, because I didn't know you could have a Fair. career as a rodeo clown. But the minute that I started at like nine or 10, I knew like, oh, this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And I got to do incredible shows at Tuts as a kid. I did Mame with Marilyn May, and I did um, Chaplin with Anthony Newley, who was, you know, a giant musical theater star and yeah. did a lot of movies. and. You know, the people that Chandra Wilson, who plays Dr. Bailey on Grey's Anatomy, we grew up together at Theater Under the Stars. And I was just watching all of these incredible people spend their lives, you know, doing what they loved and doing what I was had fallen in love with. So I, I knew that there was and everyone always said, well, what are you going to fall back on? What are you going to fall back on? And I um, just didn't even think about that. <laughs> Maybe <I'll do> that. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's part of, of why a lot of people get into the business is because they, they, A, they don't know how hard it is. like, And that's why people do a lot of things. If they knew how hard it was, they would never start it. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> and then, yeah, the other thing is just like, well, I don't know what else I do. So right? I guess I'll well, do this. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I hear all the time. It's like, if you can see yourself do anything else, do that. Right. They say, I've heard that saying many times. Yeah. 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 So then... Uh, Star Search, I guess it, it's interesting because Star Search leads to an agent. The getting getting the agent is always the hardest super part. super hard. One of the hardest things. I right? lucked out. I really did. You know, I see so many of the people I went to school with, and and I was already ahead of the game because of what had happened to me when I was thirteen. You know, and I still, Edie Rob, dear manager of mine, is still my manager to this day. Wow. Since the age of thirteen. Yeah. Um, wow, he was your manager when he was thirteen. She, she was. Oh, yeah, she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a young manager. Yeah, yeah legendary. Was. Like, and she lives in L.A. and still to this day. That's incredible. It's so incredible. you, you've had, yeah, you've had somebody who's been with you the entire time, which I think the entire uh, time. Actually, speak, speak real quick to for those who don't know, what is the difference between a manager and an agent? Okay, so an. I, what I like to think of it is it's two separate offices and everybody has eyes on your career and eyes on the breakdowns and eyes on auditions and projects. I just like to think that you're covered um, in a double way, having a manager and an agent. But a manager 
an agent will get you auditions through the breakdowns um, and they will negotiate your contracts. But a manager is sort of a boots on the ground, even manifesting other jobs that may not be coming through the breakdown, setting up general meetings with you, um, you know, and they also get you an agent manager. Mm -hmm. So I, my first agency in New York city was called J Michael Bloom and my manager Edie at that time I was, gosh, I don't know how I was probably 13 got me with J Michael Bloom and then J Michael Bloom dissolved as a company and they started innovative artists or sort of like that company merged with innovative artists and I'm with innovative artists to this day. So it was those connections that happened all those years ago that are still um, sort of guiding my career. Yeah, I think it's it's so cool to hear these stories and hear how people work together. Because in in my experience, I think like managers they have fewer clients and they're more hands on. Right. And and agents are uh, they represent a bunch of people. Um, there's senior agents and junior agents and whatever that case is, right? So there's a hierarchy, but I feel like the managers are, are directing the agents to tell the agents what to get you in for and, and to make sure they actually happen, yeah. that the meetings actually happen. I think that's true. And then, you know, sometimes you'll have auditions that come through that are just from the manager's office, or sometimes you'll have auditions that come through just the agent's office. And I love my agents at Innovative Artists, Brian Davidson and then Stephen Lamont on the West Coast are my point people and they are, you know, they're like family to me. And everyone at Edie's office, Station 3 Management is like family. It's just, um, I'm very, 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 very fortunate. Very So, fortunate. yeah, you are. And and it's cool that you acknowledge that too. Um, the, the clowning into singing, into nerd commercials and whatnot, it's, yeah. it's, it's well, it's it's funny. It's comedic, and then obviously now, like you're you're in the spotlight again for Shucked, which is comedic. But like the the dramatic stuff, um, like you're you're not just one type of dude, which I think is it speaks to against you know uh, again kind of like a range a range that you're able to produce. So when you're going from uh, like the different phases and whatnot, like the middle phase of of dressing up and and um, exploring like the other sides of life was that reflective of sort of where you were going personally or did it all just kind of like work through on its own no i would definitely absolutely say that that is true you know when i um well, i was doing the lion king the original cast of the lion king playing ed the hyena which some would argue is a nerdy hyena um <laughs> and at that point i saw hedwig and the angry inch off-Broadway, in previews, on a night off. I went to take ATS, everybody was talking about this show, and I went by myself and I thought, oh, I've gotta be a part of this show. And so I bulldozed my way in the door. I was not on the top of anyone's list, that's for sure. And then I, ended, I got the job and I became um, a one show a week standby for John Cameron Mitchell at Jane Heard Street. And I left The Lion King which everybody thought it was nuts because it was a principal role in the hottest show of all hot shows of its time. Um, and I said, no, I got to go. I'm going to leave. And I got paid $400 a week. And I didn't know if it was going to run a month. I didn't know if it was going to run six months, a year. I didn't, I, nobody knew. Um, but I knew that I had to 
try. And no one had ever seen me do a role that was this serious, also funny, but at, at the end of the day, you know, just sort of like a cathartic heartbreak through rock and roll music, you know, eight times a week. And it completely changed my life, that show and that role. It allowed the industry and the business to sort of see me in a different way. And it allowed my me as a human being to stand in my own shoes as a gay man publicly for the first time. And I was probably 26. Not that I was hiding anything, but I just don't think that I was um, sure of my own skin and aware of my own skin to be present in it in front of the world until Hedwig came along. And I mean, John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask wrote this prophetic piece of theater that was way before its time and way before the world. And it allowed me to, it opened up a whole new world for me, a new life, a new way that the business saw me. You know, it's Mm -hmm. funny, you were saying a lot of comedic things. Most of the time when I'm cast on television, it's dramas. I mean, the half hour comedies that I've done are very, very few and far between. It's all hour long dramas as opposed to the theater where, um, you know, it's it's uh, comedic and musical theater and it's a fortunate position to be in, you know, that I've been able to dance back and forth. All right. We're going to take a quick break for an ad or two. Stay tuned. And now we're back. I, I was just doing the math real quick. So OBC, you said you said the, you were in the OBC of Lion King, which was it opened November nineteen ninety seven. Yep. So we're talking like winter ninety seven into ninety eight. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and I was it's doing the math too. Yeah. So it's so it's like yeah in your early, I guess mid twenties at yeah. that point. Like you said, you I think you said you were twenty six or 26, something. I and, think I started doing readings of the Lion King when I was twenty four, maybe. Yeah, 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 and and I was I was reading too that let's see, uh, because of your upbringing, you didn't you said you didn't come out until you were twenty seven, right? It was so like, then, well, that's when I had my first boyfriend yeah. for real, you know. Right, right. So when when was Hedwig and all of this? Was Hedwig like before or after? You're like, all right, I'm gonna start like embracing who I am. No, that was they were in tandem. They yeah, were, yeah, yeah. I would that's say, so well, cool. Lion King really was the first boyfriend. I would say so that was. <laughs> the production, not the readings, the production. So, right. you know, 26, 27. Yeah, 26, 27. And I look at my yeah. young friends now who are so comfortable in who they are. And so um, it's so accessible to them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. I mean, this was a time don't ask don't tell was on the books i mean will and grace i don't even think was on tv yet rupaul's drag race Mm -hmm. certainly wasn't even thought of like it was just a different time culturally and it we're in such a better place you know as a society because of it because so many more people are able to live their lives yeah yes Uh, some might argue we've taken huge step backwards we are however i think that's just because the train has left the station. Oh yeah. And the old guard knows that and they're grasping at anything, grasping at anything. But I think, you know, the arc of history, um, it's, it's, we're going to be okay. I think. Did not be uh, complacent, but we're going to be fine. 
Yes, 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 I agree. Um, your family, your peers, uh, the rodeo club back in Texas, do, <laughs> like, do they know, <clears throat> I guess, like, being in Lion King, that's that's a, a, a big Disney movie that everybody knows the story about, like, oh, great, like, no questions there, he's a hyena, that's all great, but then going into Hedwig, was that, like, eyebrow raise, eyebrow raise oh, from sure. people who knew you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was for me, too. You know, it is a big step to take, and it was the greatest gift of my life. Um, but I, you know, I'm sure there were people who thought he's doing what? What's happening? Yeah. What's and my dad and my mom? I said, okay, I'm going to go do this show. Who were the most incredible? And my mom is still the most incredible, supportive, loving, wonderful. Like I'm an only child, and whatever I wanted to do, they made sure that I got to do it in some way, fashion or form, like above and beyond. But I said, I'm going to leave the Lion King. I'm going to do this show. This is what it's about. Um, and I don't think my dad had ever even seen a drag queen before right. until he came to Jane street to see Edwig and the angry inch. And, but anyway, before I left, I said, so on David Letterman, they're going to do a number from Hedwig and I want you to see the number and then you'll see what I'm going to do downtown on at Jane street. And so David Letterman's intro, I kid you not said, here's a new off Broadway musical. It's all the rage. It's creating tons of discussion, but I can guarantee you one thing, folks, it's not the lion King. <laughs> and I thought, Oh God. Well, there's That's what he said. That's what he said in the intro wow well yeah. yeah yeah that had to be some sort of vindication though for you to be able to say look my show's on letterman because that well, was right right letterman and leno those were the places you were seen yes in the, in the and night that was a huge deal when they got that booking at hedwig down at jade street like when that came through it was like giant yeah. um and then it just you know there was rolling stone and everybody in the world who was so cool and downtown was coming to see Hedwig. And it just, there was magic in it. I mean, truly, I know that sounds cliche, but there was magic around that theater and in that uh, just stardust. Like I did the show for so many cool people that it just, it's unbelievable. I pinch myself. And my name is in the liner notes of that cast recording. And it's something that I cherish more than anything in the world. How cool. You talk, you talk so fondly of it. I, I, it's beautiful. And uh, obviously, like what you're doing, um, I guess, career wise is reflecting where you are on a personal journey as well. And so now um, Shucked just opened this year, 2023 yeah. on Broadway, but you've You've been with the process. What, you're the only original cast member from the reading or workshop or something eight years ago? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was probably longer than yet. We did, it's probably been nine years now, maybe eight, but I auditioned wow. that long ago. And Ken Clark, who originated the role of Bo at the Dallas Theater Center, um, is uh, our standby for Bo here in New York. But so in between, cool. uh, Ken had other fabulous Broadway shows he was doing and wasn't a part of the that but i yeah i auditioned that long ago and they have allowed me to stay this entire time and i'm so grateful you know they at one point they cleaned house completely like yeah i remember brandy 
Clark, Shane McAnally, and Robert Horn and I were the only ones that were still with the project. And that is producers, designers, cast, creative teams, you name it. So uh, every time that there would be a new incarnation, I was just so glad that <laughs> they were calling me to come back on on the back of the pickup truck, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was what it was. It was originally going out as the Hee Haw musical, and then just got completely rebranded. Oh, in, into what it is now. Yeah, no, and it's far better. I mean, it really. Oh, I, I, yeah, it found its heart. It found its voice. Um, it found its time. If this, you know, we had an out of town scheduled for Washington D.C. before the pandemic, and that out of town was canceled because of the shutdown with the mm. pandemic. I don't know if the show would have landed the way it has landed pre-pandemic, pre-Trump, um, pre-sort of social unrest. Like it feels like we had to go through all of that to swing back around for this show to find its right audience. I want to dive into that. And mm -hmm. it's and it's uh, a great opportunity to peel back the layers or uh, uh, shock the corn, if you will. Hey, um, I'm ready. To... To get to the heart, let's get to the kernel of what Shucked is about. <laughs> it's not, uh, wait, what's the center of a corn cob called? Is it the, is this the cob? The corn? They would just the corny the, cob? Yeah, right. The cob. the cob? Okay, let's, let's, let's get to the cob of this story. Let's get to the cob. Let's, we're cobbing in here. So the, <laughs> the heart of it, it, I mean, the show has heart and it's about a, mm -hmm. a story of, of acceptance and ultimately love mm -hmm. where on the surface, it's like, it's a comedy about corn. Right. And it's a laugh a minute. Don't get me wrong. Like, holy shit, Robert Horn wrote a book. I mean, like, didn't he, though? Come on. Unprecedented dude. and singular. No one does what he does. No one yeah. can do what he does. Yeah. 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 Wrote, wrote, yeah. wrote this amazing book. And you are one of many just delivering these puns that speak my language like no other. <laughs> hey, dad jokes. Well, you are dad. Right. That's right. That's, That's right. There you go. I was dad joking before before I was a dad. So oh. the dad having kids was just a, it was like here you've earned your dadness. Here sure. you go. Um, but yeah, yeah. The the heart of it, uh, I guess, speak to like sort of the different incarnations, right? Because eight years ago, I don't know what it was like. All I know is kind of like the the social media like swirl or not sure. I guess swirls maybe kind of the wrong name for it but like what I've heard through the interwebs, and I never saw or or read anything about it before what it is now. So like how has it evolved and and like what's been dug into, what's been left behind? Yeah, I'm well. Eight years ago, it was called Moonshine that Hee Haw Musical, and at mm. that time it was a pastiche sort of a nod and a wink to the old television show, Hee Haw. And it was a very simple story. The story was too simple. Um, where the girl leaves her town to come to, because she feels like she needs to discover who she is. And she goes to Tampa and she brings this guy back that she falls in love with. And then he sees the rocks and whatever. Um, but since that time, it's really become about a community and a town and there's a major problem for the town in that their livelihood which is the corn has started to die so they have got a problem that forces her to leave to find a solution and then she brings this guy back who in sort of like a harold hill elmer gantry kind of way um and 
I think that the piece grew when it became about a collective as opposed to about an individual. It became about an entire town that was having to come to terms with what it had done to itself and how it was going to fix itself. Will we allow this outsider in? You know, this was, I think this major rewrite was done when the walls were going up at the border Hmm. um, and there were walls everywhere. And Maisie's I Want song is called Walls. And it's about a wall of corn that has started to die. Should she go outside? Should she let someone else back in? And I think it resonates now with audiences in ways that it could never have resonated before. But it's about if you let those people that you are scared of in to your life and into your heart and your soul and your mind, you will be better for it. You will grow. You will see the world in a different way. And I think the corn, so to speak, or the world will be brighter for it at the end. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. Yeah. 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 Just it had to be about more than just one girl's problem. It had to be a, yeah. a, a collective problem, which we were all going through in a pandemic and with the social upheaval that we were going through. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Yeah, and I I grew up in a in a small town in North Carolina, mm. which is uh, like every character in Shuck I've I've gone to school with. That's your kinfolk. When I was, yeah, of course. Yeah, them them's my kinfolk. <laughs> and we had we had a you know there was an unofficial gun club in my high school. I got a twenty two when I was fourteen years old as a kid. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, yeah. Never used it. Uh, <laughs> Good. Um, well, quickly sold it <laughs> for corn. Hey, and uh, I like what I really like about Shucked is that while acknowledging that there are some challenges in isolated communities, especially mm-hmm. in small town rural areas, the show doesn't make fun of them at all. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't make them the butt of the joke. They are telling the jokes. That's exactly right. And that is rare in popular culture, I think. And there have been so many people at the stage door who have said, we're from Iowa, we're from Ohio, Nebraska. It's the first time we've ever felt like we've seen ourselves represented on a Broadway stage. And I think that's beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Because it is giving, when I was thinking about Peanut and Peanut's place in the storytelling of the show, I thought about, a lot of those country comedians like Minnie Pearl and Jerry Clower, String Bean, that a lot of them came out of the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, but they became American iconic characters because they were speaking to a community that was never spoken to in popular culture. Will hmm. Rogers is similar. They were a voice for those people. They were relatable for those audiences and that's why they became such a huge you know many pearls hats in the smithsonian for a reason it's because she connected those people to radio and television and film um in a way that they had not been connected with before the 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 audience feedback uh i i really i enjoyed that that you said that they are coming to you and they're recognizing that they're seeing themselves represented. And have you ever, have you ever had a conversation or has Alex Newell ever mentioned to you um, 
something about like you have these people who are never going to see someone like me in real life most likely right somebody who is just so different from the norm that small town people don't get to see all the time right and and it's and it's accepted and it's positive and alex slays yes and celebrated right right yeah no i'm sure that alex has that experience and that is a it's incredible for the world it just makes the world a better place a, a, a stronger place it's you know the show is about we are stronger together that's what the show is all about and when america is at its best it's when we are all working together we are listening to each other we are communicating we are accepting or we're learning to not you know like Listen, I can't go with that, but I do appreciate you for A, B, C, and D. And we can connect on those things. And, you know, that's what the show is about. We're stronger together. We really are. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Peanut, Peanut's this wonderful through line of just like, I feel like Peanut's kind of a, a little bit of a voice of reason, like pointing out, <laughs> pointing out everything that's so absurd and wrong that it's like, oh, of course that's ridiculous. Let's talk. Let's make fun of it. Let's make fun of that. Not yes. ourselves. Well, when the stakes get too high in the show and for Bo, his brother, he comes in with the jokes. He's like, nope, nope, nope. We're going to tether you here. I'm going to get you tied down. We're going to be okay. You know, so uh, he's kind of like, um, I think a peanut is sort of like a shaman, you know, not in a way that he's like making potions, but he's a shaman, <laughs> a spirit, like he marries everybody. He buries everybody. He, yeah. you know, there's something that is spiritual about his existence in Cobb County. He probably blesses the cow's milk and the corn's milk. Oh, and every I'm other sure. Thing. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah, you need to have a corn milk blessing ceremony before the show every every Tuesday when you come we back. We should. We, maybe we'll start that outside on 41st Street. Come <laughs> the cow milk blessing. Listen, you need to do you need to do corn for corn to compete for ham with ham for ham. Hey, we did we did do ham for ham actually, but we should do corn for corn. I mean, we corn. did ride a uh, a tractor pulling a trailer through Times Square. Did you? I remember that. that. Yeah, I mean, I how many Broadway shows can say that? Yeah, dude, it was so it was so fun. I remember uh, I was at opening night for for the show, and I remember there was like you had corn shucking contests oh, and all sorts. Oh, wasn't that great? Of, yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it really was, was. It was so much fun. The the marketing, the press and marketing teams for the show have outdone themselves I with mean, the weirdness, the successful weirdness. Oh, that they're truly, able to and do. like you know, today this is Friday, July fourteenth. At four o'clock, you go on the Shucked Instagram and there is a scavenger hunt through New York City for signed CDs and pairs of tickets to the show. I mean, I remember. How cool is that? Yeah. 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 Cool. Oh, yeah. That's that's very cool. I love I love that interactivity of yeah. all of that. It's it's really, really cool. Um, what I was going to ask a second ago, I think, if I remember correctly, was like the comedy, the stage, you do the funny stuff on stage and then the serious stuff on TV and film. And uh, do you kind of, do you have a preference of of what you're doing or does is it just sort of like, I, I guess right now, especially being uh, Peanut on stage and getting the Tony nomination mm. and and whatnot. So you people are seeing you for this. And again, recency bias in people's minds. Are you getting auditions now for TV and film that are still serious stuff? Well, we'll see. You know, we're in the middle of a strike. Oh, yes. A writer yes, strike yes. and an actor strike. And so that is all fresh and new. And shucked opening 
And um, the wonderful, incredible gift of a Tony nomination is all fresh and new. So we'll see what happens at the end of the day. You know, um, I I'm just happy to have auditions and I'm happy to have jobs. And um, I don't think I have a preference. If it's just interesting characters and interesting situations, that's enough for me. Um, and, you know, there's nothing like a live audience and doing live theater. Um, there's also nothing like the challenge of doing a TV or film where every day is a different location and a different scene and different, mm -hmm. you know, there's, they're both wonderful. They're both wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally get that. When I used to audition all the time, I would do TV and film was the bad guy. I was the dark, the dark huh? sinister guy. Uh -huh. And then on stage, it was the ingenue. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. can I just be a bad guy on stage for once? I want to explore what that's like. I mean, that's fun. Yeah, that's right? Fun. I want to, yeah. Anyway, so okay. three questions. Okay. Ask everyone to wrap up the episode. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? Heart. Heart. I would say that that motivates me. Um, connecting with people, loving people through just being, you know, walk into the deli on the corner or getting to perform and have them connect that that's what motivates me. I think, um, I think empathy is the most important trait that anyone in the world can have. Mm -hmm. And I, that's something that I challenge with myself every day. Like how can you be empathetic towards this person and what they're going through and what they're feeling and their plight and their cause. And I would say that connecting with heart, in, in one way or another is what motivates me. Hmm. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Okay. The advice I would say is follow that tiny voice in your head that is telling you to do something. If you have an idea for a show, if you have an idea for an anything, if you have ideas to go to dinner with a certain person, make that dinner happen. Follow your inner voice. Don't think, I can't, I won't. Well, that's for them. That sh they should do that. No, that is you. There's only one you. You are singular. Your ideas, your motivations, your ambitions, they are all yours. And whether it's in your personal life or your um, you know, creative life, follow, follow the voice. Follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> <laughs> follow the yellow corn road. Yeah. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, my God. Now, that is the hardest question anyone's ever asked. I'm not going to say shut, even though I want to say shut. Uh, I'm going to say Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I was expecting that. That yep. would you were expecting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. So predictable. Right. <laughs> Where can we find you online on the socials? Yes, at Kevin Cahoon. That's it. Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Threads? I have not done threads yet, and I've never done TikTok, but I'm on the other three. So I did threads the other day, and I'm like, all right, this ain't this ain't bad. It's a okay, lot better did than you Twitter. Like it? It's a lot better than Twitter. I'll tell you that. Okay, good. Maybe I need to yeah. do the threads. 
Alright, yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and now Threads and hey. all the places. Um, of course, you can find me on all platforms that you listen to podcasts. Leave a reading review wherever you can. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for intro and outro music and Kevin Cahoon. Hey. Thank you so much thank for you. this lovely conversation. Enough. Thanks for loving Shucks because I love Shucks so much too. So Oh, it's so good. It. So good. Thank you. Deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.